Good morning, brothers and sisters and dear friends, and welcome again on this beautiful Sunday morning. This is again a day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice in it. And I'm so glad to hear a good account of a lot of you that it's going very well. It's going well with us. Uh, it's fair to say that lockdown is very hard, and, and a lot of people is experiencing it now. But uh, we trust in God. We trust in a faithful God. We trust in an omnipresent God. And that means that He is there with you right now. He's with me in this room while I'm recording. Uh, it's so interesting during the week I've heard somebody talk about this and they said that God doesn't need a passport to enter into a country. And, and that really sounded so good into my ears. We know this, of course. We know this for sure. But just when this man said it, it was so, well, it resonated with me. We hear about states that's been in lockdown and hard borders and soft borders. And they want to keep people out who's got the virus and all of these things we hear. And it's so wonderful that you cannot stop God from going anywhere. God can go everywhere. And the other thing which is really encouraging for me as well is that God is omnipresent, but he's also all-powerful. So he's the one who holds all the power in the world. He's an omnipotent God, and that is so wonderful to understand that. Uh, and he's everywhere, and he, he understands what's going on. But sometimes for us in our minds, is mind-blowing or mind-boggling, any which way you want to say it. For him, it's not. He's a sovereign God. And he knows exactly what's going on in the world. As we see news break every night on our news, on our TV screens, he already knows it ahead of time. So it is so wonderful also to see that Bible prophecy is coming to fulfillment. You all by know now that the treaty that was signed with the uh, EAU, with um, you know the Arab nations, with Israel, and that, of course, is so exciting news because it brings together and fulfillment of a lot of the prophecies that's to come. Is this the final agreement that's going to be signed? I'm not that clever to say to you right now, yes. Is it pointing towards what the Bible talks about? Yes, it does. And it is really interesting to see how these things come into play over the world. It's also interesting to see now for the first time how these mighty powers behind the scenes is putting things into place for the last days. And let me just warn you that let it not go past your attention what is going on under the, the cover of COVID. There's a lot of laws that's been passed through Parliament which in, if the virus wasn't there, a lot of people would have been seeing this, noting this, and, and, and in fact, um, go against what's been passed into some of these places. But this is not the forum and the platform that I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the Word of God. The only one thing that we have that can encourage the child of God. Now, I know that there's a lot of you people... Uh, who's listening to me, whether in our church, whether other people that I know now, who's watching the videos as well, that a lot of you might go through really difficult times and times where your faith is being tested. I just want to say to you, hold on to Jesus. Never let go because he's got you in his arms. And this is a time that faith will be tested. Uh, and that is why it's so important for us to stay on the word of God, 
to stay focused to Jesus, to make him the center of your life. I know once we are separated from everybody, it makes it so far and distant. But know this, the love of Christ is always there. And the love which the Bible says that he, he poured out into our hearts needs to now overflow out of your hearts towards people and towards family members. So I want to continue today as we look through the Bible and we follow Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And we come to a really interesting passage today. Let me give you some background. We remember Jesus fed the people, the 4,000. He, he was asked that question by the Pharisees and he dropped the bombshell there, uh, telling them and said to them that, um, you know, all your, your rituals that you're going through means nothing. He got into the boat and in the boat, while the disciples were talking about not bringing enough bread, he started warning them about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven that corrupts. Uh, and, and we see a lot of corruption going on today in the world. And that corruption is for power. And we know that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, and that comes in like leaven. It corrupts the whole system. Uh, it starts off small and, and unseen. It is hidden. Remember, it, it's like the in Revelation when a, a woman he hides the corruption in the dough and it takes over the whole lump. And he corrupts the whole thing. We are living in a corrupt world and we need a savior to show us the path through this corrupt world. So this is what we heard. And Jesus said it to these men, watch out for that. Be, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees and the Herodians. And as they got out of the boat, there was this man who was blind. And Jesus spat in his eyes. And he halfway saw and he said, Jesus asked him the question. He said, what do you see? He says, I saw men walking like trees and then he healed him. And we touched on that passage there to understand finally, you know, what, why did Jesus heal this man? It looks like in stages. And then last week we came to the passage, a wonderful passage where uh, Jesus asked these men the question. He says, who does men say that I am? That general question. He said, oh yeah, they say that you're John the Baptist and they say that you're Elijah and some say that you're a prophet. And then he asked the question straight to them. He says, but who do you say that I am? That is a very important question. It is the most important question that you have to answer in your lifetime. Who are you saying that Jesus is? Is he just that historical figure in a history book? Is he somebody you heard of but you've never met? We know it all. I mean, we're living in Australia and uh, Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister. I, I know him. You ask me tomorrow in a quiz show, you say, do you know Scott Morrison? Yes, the Prime Minister of Australia. But do I know him? No, I don't. I see him from a distance. I, uh, I see him on TV. I, can, I hear his voice. If, if you put him, if you blindfold me and you put him on TV and you say, who's this man? I can recognize his voice, but I don't know him. I haven't spent time with him. I don't know his characteristics. Uh, and this is the difference between knowing Jesus and know of him. And he says, who do you say that I am? And, and you remember that famous words that Peter, he said, you are Christ, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns around and he says, blessed are you by Jonah, 
for the Father gave you this to say. Now that is all fantastic. And we remember that Jesus gave this gospel to Mark through the witness of Peter so that he can write to us so that we can know who Jesus is and why he came. And, and, and by now you should know it. You should know who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And why did he come to this world? Well, it is so fantastic. He came to die for you and for me for our sins. And that's so wonderful. Today, I want to continue in, in the narrative. And I want to talk to you today about the cost of following Jesus. Because this is where Jesus is going with this conversation now. What is it going to cost you to follow Jesus? The cost of following Jesus. That is the theme of today. And we want to continue in Mark chapter 8 verse 31. Now, if you please follow on the screen or open up in your Bible, that would be fantastic. I highly recommend you take your own Bible and open it up so that you can make notes. In verse 31, Jesus said, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now, just pause there for a moment. The Son of Man, remember? The Son of God is with God, and the Son of God came down. He was born. He lived amongst us. And then Jesus used this title, the Son of Man, amongst us, from amongst us. He used that title right here. And he starts teaching them that the Son of Man, Jesus on the earth, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, I absolutely believe in the resurrection of Jesus after three days, but that's a message for later on in the year. Here we see that there are two reasons that Jesus is starting to give them this message. He's actually telling them. He says to them that I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man is going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. And to be quite honest, let's, let's not forget that where we are at this point in time, Philippi, Caesarea, we are with Jesus. We're back in the day when He walked the earth. And this concept... Out of all of the miracles they saw him do, how powerful he, he portrayed himself to them. He had power over nature. He had power over demons. He could heal people. He could raise from the dead. This Jesus now tells them that he must suffer. That is, that is ludicrous to think about it if you walk with Jesus. It's easy for us to sit here in 2020 and think back about it. But we have, to, we have to be there in the moment when they heard this. And they heard him saying that the elders and the chief priest is going to reject him and the scribes. And now comes the word, not only suffer, but he's going to be killed. This Jesus is going to be killed. And not only that, then after three days he will rise again. But I want to prove to you a point here that people don't always listen to what they need to hear. They hear what they want to hear. Remember a few weeks ago I said to you the ear is trained to hear what it needs to hear. You train your ear what you want to hear. And they heard these things. 
Now, there's, there's two reasons why Jesus had to suffer, reject it, and be killed. Two reasons. One is for man's sin, for mankind's sin, for our sin. That is why. And the second reason is to demonstrate to us the love of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that God loved us so much that He demonstrated. He uses the word demonstrate. It is a physical demonstration that He demonstrated His love towards us that while we were still what? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is why the, the Son of Man had to suffer, had to be rejected, and had to die. Think of that. This is heavy words. It's weighty words. It's not just something you can flippantly say. He was suffering for me. He was suffering for you. That is why he had to suffer. He had to take our sin, our, our heavy load of sin upon his shoulders and he had to go to the cross with our sin upon his shoulders. Now, there's only one thing that can make him do that. And that's the love of the Father. How wonderful to think that. And here you were sitting and you thought that, that you were just, it's just by chance all these things happen. It is a design from God to save you and me in a lost generation. The love of God. He's so wonderful, my dear brother and sister. Now, he spoke this openly, verse 32 says. Look at verse 32. He says, he spoke this word openly. So everybody heard this. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This must have come as a shock for everybody who heard him. Why? Who? It is ludicrous to think of a suffering Messiah. It, it sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like a suffering Messiah. No, no. A Messiah, is, it, it is unthinkable. A Messiah is the one who's above everyone. He's the Savior. He's the powerful one. You can't put suffering and Messiah in the same sentence. But yet, here Jesus is doing it. You see, it's because people, they think differently. They think all about themselves. How can this Jesus benefit me? I can't have a suffering Messiah. Messiah is a sign of strength, of stability. But here, here you, you're portraying him as weakness, a suffering Messiah. But you see, we find this so many times, dear brother and sister, where what Jesus came to do and who he is in your life might shock what you want him to be in your life. And that's what we need to look out for. They wanted to make him a king. They thought that he was going to be the king in the seat of David, which he was. But for different reasons than what they wanted him to be. They wanted him to rise up an army to fight the Romans. To put Israel back in the position like, like all the Old Testament kings did. Look at all of the earthly kings. They all raised an army. King Saul, King David, you think about Solomon, you think about all of them. All of them had an army and all of them fight for what? To bring peace to their people. But here, here Jesus is now walking in and he, and he talks about a different battle. He's a different king. 
This battle is not trying to give them peace here on earth, but it's to give them peace up in heaven. This battle is to give them peace for their souls to live forever. And this is not what they wanted to hear. This is for certainly not what Peter wanted to hear. We think oftentimes like the disciples think. We think that if we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus, that we can stand back now and he's going to ride in with his white horse and he's going to fight our battles for us here on the earth. And we pray, we say, Lord, please come in and help this person with their the infirmity in their body, with the sickness in their body, with the attacks of the viruses, and Lord, help them with the finances, and Lord, help them with these relationships, and people who's, who's against them, aggressive, all of these things is physical nature, but Jesus came to save the soul. It's a different battle, and they couldn't understand it, as a lot of Christians today cannot understand. They they claim to be a Christian and she'll be alright mate. We can continue with our lives and just continue as we were because hey, Jesus will look after me. doesn't work that way. And here Jesus actually says to them openly, it says that he spoke this word openly and Peter took him aside. What went through Peter's mind? What went through his mind to pull the Messiah away from the people? And then he had the, the courage to rebuke the Messiah. But let's see what happens. And I want us to focus here on Peter for a few minutes. God used this man to reveal Christ. Think of that. In Matthew 16, we find a little bit more. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And I just want you to put yourself in that shoes for a minute. There's a crowd. There's the disciples. And here is Simon. And wow, the Holy Spirit gives him this revelation. And he speaks and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And, and Jesus turns out and he says, blessed are you, not disciples, not the crowd, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He, he calls him deeper than just his name. He says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, I can just see the whole stature of Peter rising a little bit. You know, his chest pumping out a little bit. His shoulders going up a little bit. He's a little bit taller than he normally is. He stands out amongst all the people because God chose him to reveal the Messiah. This is how we are. This is how people... I see that so often. You get preachers today who preach from pulpits and then they claim to get a word from God and you can see the same thing. They claim a falsity. Peter had the real word of God. But let's see these people. A false. Oh, and they become so very prominent and important that God speaks to them and not to you. And their stature grows and grows. <sighs> Peter, Peter, oh Peter. God chose him and then Jesus starts to pump up his wheels a little bit. He, he does that. He, he, um, Jesus builds him up there in verse 18, Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you, you are Peter. He, Jesus, now the Father spoke to him. Wow. And now Jesus singles him out. 
And I also say to you, Peter, not to you, the disciples, not to the, but, but to you, Peter, I say to you the following. This is the very most significant words of the birth of the church. He says, I say to you that you are Peter, Petros, a small little pebble. And on this rock, Petra, a big mountain range. And oh boy, so many people has got this scripture wrong. They say this is the foundation for the Pope. And this shows that a man, there must be an, an apostle sitting in Peter's seat. Because he died. And this shows that Peter was the first Pope. That's all a lot of rubbish. No, no. He said, Peter, you are a pebble. In that midst of the thing that Father spoke to him and I speak to you direct, you're a little pebble. But on this Petra, on this big rock, who is Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone, what will happen? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I can just see this Peter standing there. He's a little bit taller now. His chest is pumped out a little bit more. His shoulders is broader. And now Jesus talks to him. He's this one-on-one. -on -one. And that stature grows bigger and bigger and bigger. To the point then. Uh, to the point then to say that it's fair to say that he must feel as if he's the chosen one. I am the chosen one, Peter. And why do I say this? Is is for you and for me to be careful. Listen to me. I want you to look me in the eyes through the camera as I speak to you. Maybe it's a minister who's listening to this. Maybe it's a self-proclaimed uh, apostle. I'm talking to you now. But I want to say to you, it is dangerous to feel that you are the chosen one. It's dangerous. Yes, he did say this to Peter. And right after that, we're going to see that the defenses of Peter is laid down. He's so important now that an attack from the enemy came through that very same man. You have to be careful to feel that you are the chosen one. We are a chosen people. Yes, I know. We are called from, you know, from the foundation of the world we were called. And, and he calls us. And you and I, he knows about us in Psalm 139. He says, he knows in, when we were in our mother's womb and how we were fearfully knitted together and put together. He knows how in and how out. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything. But be careful to come into this area where you are the one who hear from God. The, God gave us his whole Bible. If you want to hear the voice of God, if you want to hear him today, open up. It's all there. It's written. It is written for you and for me. It's Logos and Rima, the, the, the written word and the spoken word. But here God, uh, Jesus speaks directly to, to Simon, Peter, Bar Jonah. So now we see that Peter pulls him away a bit and he rebukes him. And see what Jesus says to him. He rebuked Peter. He rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan! For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Listen to this now. This important, you know, the statue uh, Peter now. Jesus turns around and he calls him Satan. 
Did he call him Satan? No, that's not what he said. He didn't say Peter is Satan. So what happened here? What happened in this passage? We see that Peter is used by Satan to do the same thing that he did when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. That's what he's doing. He used the very same man that God spoke, the Father spoke to and say, you're going to tell the people it's Jesus. He used the very same one that Jesus turns around and say, Simon Barjona, God spoke to the Father, gave you these words. And Satan used that very same man to come to Jesus and to rebuke him and to try to do this. You see, but this is playing on the temptations that happened in the wilderness. What was the temptations? We remember the pleasure seeking. You know, when he came to him and he said to him, there is bread, make them uh, stones, make them bread and eat. That is for hunger and for self-satisfaction. And Jesus said to him, no. But Jesus answered me, says he's written. Second, he came to him about his ego. You remember, he took him on the highest mountain uh, and, and he showed him all the kingdoms. He says, if you bow to me now, I'll give you all these kingdoms. That will show him his spectacular might that Jesus would have. And Jesus said, no, he withstood that. And then finally came to him with materialism. He says, the kingdom's wealth will be yours. You remember when he took him onto the pinnacle of the temple, he says, jump and the angels will save you before you fall. And Jesus said to him also, thou shalt not tempt God. And here now we see, you know, John wrote about this. And it's the same, the same back then. It's in the Garden of Eden, the same with Jesus, the same with us. John wrote, he says, the lust of the eyes. You remember that? Materialism, the lust of the body, um, um, and then the pride of life need to be careful of these things and now satan comes with the same attack and a little bit more what was the little bit more we see that it is people popularity people popularity the son of man comes and he says i must suffer i must be rejected and i must die peter comes to him and say look at these people we're not going to allow that. He's, and he takes him aside and he rebukes him. And Jesus, uh, Jesus turns around and he say, uh, rebukes uh, um, uh, Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because these people were at the point that they would have fought for Jesus. We will fight for you, Jesus. Let me just be very clear about this. There's nowhere in the Bible that Jesus says that we need to fight for him. There is nowhere in the Bible that we need to protect God. He is God and God alone, he protects himself. We do not have to do that. This is not why he came. He came to the earth to save sinners. He came to save your soul. So he rebuked him there. Now, when he turned around, he didn't look at Peter. It says it there in the Bible, he looked at the disciples and he rebuked Peter. And he says to him, get behind me. Now, that is an Old Testament concept. And it's, it's literally to get out of my eyesight. Get behind me so that I can't see you anymore. Get behind me, say Satan, uh, uh, means that whatever you're saying is going to be rejected. 
And what he says to him is, is, you do not understand the things of God. So in other words, what you're saying did not line up with Scripture. And that is my point my whole time, my whole life that I've been preaching the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, reject it. Get it behind you and move on. Now let's finally, before I come to a close, show you the next part now. Because we're going to see four foundations now on the back of this. Jesus is going to make a statement now. Look at verse 34, Mark 8, 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now I want you to count now, because I'm going to talk about that, how many times he uses the word for, F-O-R. Count them as I read on. Make notes of them. If it's your Bible, circle them. Okay, because these are foundational words. If you find the word therefore, or you find the word but, or you find the word for, F-O-R, it's an application words. It means that you need to read what is in front of that word. Now, I've just read to you the in front part. I'll read it again. Verse 34, when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, he makes the statement, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For application. Whoever decides to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my name's sake, for my sake, and the gospel's sake, will save it. <coughs> Verse 36. For application. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Verse 37. For, uh, 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 or, I beg your pardon, I've just went ahead of myself here, but that's the word, what will make a man give exchange for his soul? The King James Version uses the word for there. Verse 38, for, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generations, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory with his Father and the holy angels. So this is the statement Jesus makes right after he rebukes, he rebukes uh, Peter. He turns to the people now and he says to them, Whoever comes after me needs to do three things. First of all, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. Let's first start with taking up your cross, because what does it mean? I've heard so many people talk about it. They talk about that's the struggles I go through in life. That's my cross. It might be for somebody a pain, a, a really bad back. It might be for somebody a sickness in their life. It might be a relationship, a, a broken relationship with their parents, their children, their spouse. It doesn't matter what it is. But I've heard so many times in life that people say, your cross that you bear is your pain and the irritation that you carry every day. I not necessarily agree with that. I disagree. Because I want to bring it to you from the Word of God. Let's put it in context. What does it mean to take up your cross? So, to understand that, we need to know a few things about the cross. Now, we don't have crosses anymore. Here in Melbourne, Australia, no man has been, been killed on a cross in the last 200 years. Ever, I think, in Australia. And I come from New Zealand, same thing. And I come from South Africa, same thing. And I come in America, I look, there is still the death penalty there. 
but it's not on a cross. In fact, the cross only goes back to biblical times, and it only goes back to one nation who started using it, and that was the Romans. And it was a terrible, terrible death. The most terrible death that you can find, because you hang on the cross there, and your, your heart starts sacking, and you start losing uh, oxygen in your lungs, and, and your feet is now down at the, at the bottom, and you have to push yourself up to get a breath, and there's, you know, being stretched like that, gravity takes hold of you, and, you know, blood starts going through the, the, your inner parts, and you can't, and you, look, it's a terrible death. And if you hold on for too long, they break your legs and you die faster. So what do we know about a cross? First of all, we know that a cross is a show of opposition. Of opposition. In other words, the Romans, if they disagreed with, with you, they would take you to the cross. If you were politically coming up against them, they will stamp down and say, we're going to kill you on the cross. If you're a murderer, if you're a, a thief, they instituted this. To be in opposition to something. Remember the word opposition. So the cross is a sign of opposition. It's an opposition against what you want to do. You want to kill people? We oppose that. And the way that we're going to show other people that we oppose that is we're going to hang you on the cross. So that other murderers do not want to murder because they see what's happening here. So, first of all, it is a sign of opposition. It's also a place of shame, the cross. Because they will take your clothes off your body. Or they will have just one, you know, uh, uh, around your waist. But they will put you up there, naked, for all the world to see. That's a place of shame. And people would normally gather around like they did in the day of Jesus. And they will mock you. And you would hang there for all to see. This is a murderer. This is a thief. This is a, a person who opposes the, the Roman government. This is him. And people will spat at you. And they will shout blasphemy at you. It's a place of shame. It's a place of opposition. And it's a place of shame. But it's also a place of suffering. I'm talking about terrible suffering now. Uh, the pain that goes through your body, hanging there, um, the heat, you can't breathe, you've got pain, there's no relief, you are thirsty. Uh, as fluids goes out of your body, it's a pain of place of suffering. So it's a place of opposition, of shame and of suffering. And it's also then the ultimate place of death, because that leads to death. So think about the cross now, now that you know the background. He says, deny yourself. Uh, take up your cross and follow me. Now, I've started off with take up the cross. Because it's much more than just the irritation in your life. This is now a place where you, through following Jesus, will have to, you're opposing the world and the world is opposing you. Uh, you can't go with the world anymore. You go against the world and the world is going against you. It's a place of opposition. If you take up the cross, you are saying to the world that I'm a Christ follower and I'm walking according to what Jesus Christ is telling me to walk according to. The things I used to do, I do them no more. It's a place of opposition. 
It's a sharp contrast place. That is the cross that you need to take up daily, it says in Luke. And opposing the world. I'm not talking getting militant against the world. But the things of the world. I'm coming back to what John said. The pleasures of the world. And if you're going to stand for Christ. You're going to oppose that. And they will oppose you for your stance. And there's a lot of uh, examples of that. A place of shame. You know for a lot of people following Christ. Bring shame upon them from the world. The world will try to shame you for following Christ. And you will suffer. That's what the cross is. It truly is the cross. You will suffer for that. Some will suffer with their lives like in China right now. Like in the Middle East right now. If you're a Christian, they suffer for their lives. And eventually, it will follow to death. Now, if you think about deny yourself. Denying yourself is against what I just told you. If you're not denying yourself, you say, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be an, uh, every time seen as somebody in opposition to, to the pleasures of the world. I don't, want to, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. This is the kind of denying that you need to do. If you deny yourself, you need to be able to set yourself up to go through these things of the cross. That is the true meaning of this passage for that. But now, let me hurry by saying... There's four foundations after the statement. And they all start with the word for. Let me go through them with you. You see, when Jesus asks you to follow him, he's not like Nike. You know, the, the running shoes, just do it. No, no, there's consequences. There's a cost. There's a thinking about this. There's a, a actions and reactions. No, no, he gives us foundations. First of all, he says, if you deny yourselves, take up the cross and follow me. And then he says in verse 35, foundation one, he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Now, I want you to do this now. If you've got a piece of paper, do that later on, do that. Write down the word save and lose, because this is the opposite. He gives it to him. Either you save your life. And, and, and Or you lose your life. That's one of the two. That he's playing them up against each other. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake. That's important. And the gospel will save it. So what is he talking about now? Let's look at the first save there. Versus lose. The word there. He says whoever desires to save his life. And this is what we see a lot. What is it? To save it against what he said in, in his statement. You know, to take up your cross. What is the four things of the cross again? Opposition. If you want to save your own life against the opposition of the world, are they going to call me a Christian and I'm not going to have friends anymore? They're going to oppose me. That's saving your life. What else? Shame. Oh, I'm going to be so ashamed. I'm the only one that is a Christian and they're all going to laugh at me. And that's going to be, that is saving your own life. And what's the other one? Suffer. Oh, I'm going to lose every single thing. I'm going to lose it all. They're going to take it all away and I'm going to suffer. They might even beat me because I'm a Christian. That is saving your own life. And what is the next one? Death. Oh, I might die. I might die for what they're going to do to me because I'm a Christian. That is saving your own life. Now, let me put it in context. He says it there, for whoever desires to save his life. In other words, he's not going to take up the cross. 
If you save your life and you always keep down, then you're not going to stand up for Christ. You will save your life. But what does he say? He says, desires to save his life will lose it. You will lose it. That is so, it can't be more clearer than that. But whoever loses his life. Now put that, loses that life against the safe of the of, of the first one if you lose that things if you say i will take up the cross i'm not worried to be in oppositional to the worldly pleasures i'm not worried about the shame i'm not worried about the sufferings and i'm not worried about death if i am those things what did he say he says for my sake and the gospel will sa will save it so by losing your life for the world will save your life for God in the eternal life. How wonderful is that? Now, I, I just want to make a quick, uh, you know, jump in here. He says, for my sake. I hear so many Christians who go look for problems and get persecuted. And then they say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian. And you know what I say? I say, no, no, you went and you looked for trouble. No, let's just go out and preach the gospel for his name's sake. So that's the first foundation. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it and loses it for my name's sake and the gospel will save it. That's the first foundation. The second foundation is in verse 36. He uses the word for again, application. So that applies now to verse 35 and to the statement. What is the statement? Whoever wants to follow me needs to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's a statement. Four, what will he profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So what is the answer to that question? If you put it into a statement, and the answer is nothing. You will gain nothing when you lose your, li your, your life in this world. Uh, if, uh, 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 when you profit, when you gain the whole world, you, you will profit nothing if you gain the whole world because no money will be able to pay your way out of the pit of hell. No money at all. All the profits of the world. You take the richest people of the richest and you throw all their money together and all the government's monies together. And all of the money of the world will not pay enough for one soul to go from the pit of hell to heaven. So that is what the answer is. For if you, uh, if you want to gain the whole world by not being in opposition to the pleasures of the world, be not be shamed, be not be uh, uh, um, um, uh, persecuted or, or um, suffering, and, and also for the last one, not die. For his name's sake, you, the whole the prophets in the world will gain nothing and you will lose your own soul for the internal damnation. Now we come to the third four, verse 37. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Again, I've heard sermons coming out and they use this one little verse and preach a whole sermon on it, which is all kumbaya and wonderful and is beautiful. But we need to read it in context with the statement that Jesus said and then with the foundations underneath it. And the answer to that question is nothing. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. You haven't got anything that you can give as an exchange for your soul to save it. Nothing. 
This is why when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That will gain you to, to save your soul. That's the only thing that will save your soul. And then finally, in verse 38, the fourth foundation. Again, he uses the word for as an application word. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man, he uses the title Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his father with the holy angels. The word that he uses there is ashamed of me means not to be identified with Christ and his gospel. Can you see now why I say that these foundations apply to the statement? When Jesus said whomever wants to come after me needs to deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. It's directly applied to that. Being ashamed of me means I do not want to identify with Christ in this life. I'm too afraid to take up that cross. I'm not, I'm not willing to take up that cross to be ashamed or to oppose the worldly pleasures and the things of the life and to, to suffer and to die. And because I'm not willing to do those things, I'm ashamed, I won't be identified to Him. It means that you will identify. If you do not identify with Christ, you have to identify with something else. And there's only two choices here. One is Him and the other one, He gives it clearly there, it is a adulterous and a sinful generation. That's the two options you've got. If you choose to identify with Christ, there's only one way you can do that. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. If you want to go with the other guys, fair game, fair enough. Like they say in Australia, fair dinkum, man, it's your decision. Fair dinkum, do it. And follow and save your life in this world and be the friend of the world. But know this, for sure know this, that you will gain no profit. Okay, And at the end of it, you will have nothing to give as an exchange for your soul. And then finally, you will save your life in this life, but you will lose it and you will go to a place where you don't want to be. So clear the word of the Lord this morning, isn't it? So direct and so alive. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you during this week. Uh, I thank God for the privilege to be able to preach still, to bring the word of God out. I thank him for the love that he poured out in all of our hearts. And may he bless you this week. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, Father. Father, we want to follow you. And we understand now what it means to take up our cross and to deny ourselves and to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for your word to make it alive in your hearts this week. Go with my brothers and sisters. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.